This episode of The Interlude contains discussions of incest and sexual assault and is intended for mature audiences only. I am rather enjoying this light read for its implausible tale of cruelty, greed, and despair, so I'm putting aside my notions of book snobbery and dumbing down because I want to see how the story unfolds. Hey, this is Grace. And this is Kit. And welcome to The The Interlude, Interlude, the sexiest game of chicken on the internet. Hey there, Kit. Good evening. How are you? Hey, Grace. I'm doing really good. I am so excited about what we're going to discuss tonight. This is, in many ways, what sort of led to the creation of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get into that into, in just a little bit, but oh, this is a book that is near and dear to my heart. A series that is near and dear to my heart, in fact. And we're going to be talking today about flowers in the attic. Let me ask you a question, because if you ask any girl, any woman who was born in this late 70s, early, mid 80s, maybe early 90s about this book, you will see a look come over her face. She'll be lost in reverie and memories. We all remember this book. So tell me as, as a growing up as a man, as a boy in the same era, what did you know about Flowers in the Attic? Well, I thought it was maybe like a gardening book or something. <laughs> I... Are you serious? Had you really never heard, like, you never heard whispers of girls in, in your high school or in your junior high talking about flowers in the attic? I'd heard whispers from mm. from people. Okay. Anonymous sources. Anonymous sources. And I'd only heard the name. I didn't know what it was about. I knew that it was salacious. I knew that it was sexy. I knew that it was forbidden. It is all of those things and more. But I did not know until you showed it to me, until Mm -hmm. you brought it into my life, the full extent of what Flowers in the Attic was. (laughs) Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the basics of this this beautiful, beautiful book that we're going to talk about today. Sure, absolutely. Um, So I think that uh, probably the best way to start would be with the Amazon summary. Mm. Okay. Which uh, gives a a good synopsis of of what the book is about. Talk to us about the year that this was published. I think that's really important because this this really was a cultural touchstone for Gen Gen X. Sure. So this was a book that was published in 1979. Mm Mm-hmm. It was published after, as many books are, uh, a number of years of effort to try and get it into the masses' hands. Um, V.C. Andrews, the author, supposedly, according to her her own uh, account, wrote this book in two weeks mm. in 1975 and sent it off for publication. And then um, they you know, got some feedback uh, after that and did all the revisions in a weekend and uh, then got it published. Now, why her finishing this and sending it off and doing the revisions in a weekend before it got published 
amounted to four years worth of work, I do not know. That's something that uh, maybe casts a little bit of doubt on her, her personal account. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this is a product of the mid to late 70s. V.C. Andrews was, was a pen name. I believe it was uh, Claire Virginia Andrews. Oh. Uh, although I could be wrong about that. I that may have to go qu- back. That's quite a name. Uh, but she she uh, went by her middle name, Virginia. She published this book and then went on to publish many others before her tragic battle and subsequent loss to breast cancer uh-huh. in the uh, mid-80s. Yeah, th- there are so many series that she wrote. We're going to focus on this one because it was the first and mm-hmm. the most famous. There, After we get through with this, this podcast... Please go check out some of her other stuff. It it if you think this is twisted, my sweet Audrina is just next level. It is. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil it because it's truly a work of just. I I can't believe somebody published this. Um, and in fact, the ladies over at My Favorite Murder, early on in their in their careers at My Favorite Murder, you know when it was a small fandom, they they. Basically, they said, hey, everyone, let's read this book together. And we were all just horrified. And we all read it as kids. But there is some real dark stuff uh, and real dark themes going through V.C. Uh, Andrews, all of her novels. And Flowers in the Attic just kind of kicked that off. So now it sounds like you have a lot more personal experience with this than I did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I had no knowledge of this before you introduced it to me. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you did, uh, what your experience was with this growing up. And this was such a pivotal book. This really shaped who I am as a person, <laughs> shaped my sexuality, which maybe I shouldn't admit that after you hear what, what this was like. It was the first work of overt erotica that I ever read. And much like Gillian Flynn of Gone Girl fame, uh, who wrote the foreword to the anniversary edition of Flowers in the Attic, she was 13, as was I. It was in junior high. Um, and she writes in the foreword, and I quote, At the age of 13, I survived almost entirely on Green Apple, Jolly Ranchers, and Flowers in the Attic. Same girl, same. Like, I feel you, Jillian. That's that's exactly, exactly um, how I felt. I would like to finish that quote, because that's half of the quote. <laughs> half <laughs> of that It is only sentence. half of the quote. It's a, an amazing foreword. The rest is, and to this day, I can't look at the book without my mouth watering. I mean, if anyone's read Gone Girl, you know that she's got mm. some, she's got some things. I, I love her books too, and you can really see the influence of B.C. Andrews in these books. But mm-hmm. um, yes, I was I was also thirteen. Now, um, would you say I, that this was an appropriate book for thirteen-year-olds? Absolutely to, to be reading, not. Which I was makes it all the more enticing. <laughs> it was the eighties. We were very unsupervised. I think you you understand that as a child of the the same time, the 80s. We were left to our own devices oh, all the time. Absolutely. In the 80s, I was actually allowed out of my parents' eyesight. I I could go and do my own thing as a kid without my parents being yelled at uh, for being terrible parents, for, mm-hmm. for you know leaving me open to potential kidnapping, which was a worry in the 80s. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I was a classic latchkey kid. Mm. And I first found this book in my own mother's bookcase. And I think that my mom and dad were just so happy that I was reading that they didn't care what I was reading. And that was 
probably not the best, but you know, at the age of 13, I was reading all of my mom's books, Flowers in the Attic, and The Zodiac Killer was another one. And that launched me into a lifetime obsession with true crime and true crime novels and true crime podcasts and true crime everything. That's a whole other, whole other thing. But it also led me to read like the rest of her books. She had a very complete Danielle Steele collection. That is a whole other podcast. That is some graphic erotica. And Danielle Steele, also a native of San Francisco, lived in San Francisco. Those books were just, they opened my eyes to the, a world that existed that I had no idea about, a world of sex and intrigue and terrible, terrible things happening to people. It was, it was amazing. We had a bit of an underground smut circuit at my junior high. I'm sorry. Did you say <laughs> that you are part of an underground smut circuit Absolutely. in your junior high? Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell me more about this because oh, okay. I really want to hear about underground smut rings. So it started with Flowers in the Attic. You know, I got a hold of it. I read it. I, my mind was blown. Uh, this was the most graphic thing I had ever read in my life. It mm. was just scandalous and salacious and the sex and the just the generational trauma. I would pass it along to my friends when I was done reading it. And then they, in turn, would go and say, my mom has all these books. Go check out your mom's bookshelf. And they would scurry home and raid their mom and their older sister's bookshelves. And they would bring their own erotica to school. And we would pass it around. It would make its rounds person to person to person. We would gather at the lockers. And I would we would bookmark the dirty parts and read them to each other in between classes. And at recess, I mean, we just, I, it was a smut ring. Like, it was amazing. Junior high. We're in junior high. So we would speak in hushed whispers at the lockers. Okay, page 79. This is where it happens. And, you know, we would read it aloud to each other. So, yeah, this was in the days before there was no porn hub. I mean, the, the closest you could get to any kind of porn is if you accidentally happened upon your father or older brother's uh, Playboys in the bathroom or behind the toilet. This was, this was better than Playboy, right? This was beautiful writing. This was your imagination taking over. It was not overt, just I'm looking at a picture of boobs, although that was great too. But, you know, this is, this is how it all started. And what I love most about this is that this was all scavenged smut. This was all <laughs> smut that you found from your parents or your older siblings. Maybe your younger siblings. I don't know. Nope. Never uh, the younger siblings. Always the older siblings. You know, everyone, ha every, every, everyone had that girl in their friend group. Mm -hmm. who had the sister was like four or five, six years older. Mm -hmm. She was either high school or college and you just worshipped her and she'd be reading these books. So you wanted to read these books too. So for a lot of us, this was, you know, this and soap operas were, were the kind of the first taste of sexuality that we really, we really got. So I, I can't stress enough how women of a certain generation, Generation X, like this, this was where it all started. And... I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a pretty twisted story. Why don't you take us through kind of a, about the book? Give us the synopsis of Flowers in the Attic. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so again, according to the Amazon uh, synopsis. At the top of the stairs, there are four secrets hidden. Blonde, beautiful, innocent, and struggling to stay alive. 
They were a perfect family, golden and carefree, until a heartbreaking tragedy shattered their happiness. Now, for the sake of an inheritance that will ensure their future, the children must be hidden away, out of sight, as if they never existed. Kept on the top floor of their grandmother's vast mansion, their loving mother assures them it will just be a little while. But as brutal days swell into agonizing months and years, Kathy, Chris, and the twins Corey and Carrie realize their survival is at the mercy of their cruel and superstitious grandmother, and this cramped and helpless world may be the only one they ever know. That is so beautifully dramatic and that's exactly what it was about like it's basically four children the flowers Mm -hmm. stuck in an attic it is it is and we're going to probably give a few spoilers here spoiler Uh, alert guys sorry exactly look if you haven't read this book three decades is plenty of time (laughs) i don't know what to tell you yes so yes, uh, tragedy befalls a, a happy family. They are apparently all very, very blonde, uh, and uh, you know the the motifs of being golden and fair and uh, and white and virginal mm-hmm. are very heavy-handed throughout the book. Absolutely. Um, and so, right, the four children are whisked away to the house of uh, the grandparents, uh, who deny their existence. Uh, for reasons that you soon find out to be of incest. <laughs> it all starts with the incest. It all starts with a sibling boinking a sibling. Yes. Back generations and generations. It's it's As we find out in subsequent books, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. This book is very special for another reason. Back when the pandemic started in March of 2020... Kit and I had had just started dating. We'd only been dating a few months. And we were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to weather this? You know, we don't live together. We're not supposed to mix households. How are we going to do this? How do we stay in touch with each other? And I had this idea of, wouldn't it be really fun if at night we jump on Zoom and, you know, we read a a story together, like a little book club. We'll read a chapter at a time and we'll read to each other. We'll take turns. And you said, okay, oh, that's that's a great idea. What should we read? And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to take a risk here. Either this guy is going to see what I want to read and he is going to say, this has been a fun three months, uh, goodbye. Or he's going to get it. He's going to get the joke and he's going to be intrigued. And luckily, he was intrigued. Oh, I was more than intrigued. I was down for it. <laughs> I wanted the trashiest, smuttiest stuff to read to you in the most uncomfortable voice possible oh my gosh i i i really thought i was getting over on him i thought oh this is i'm gonna just make him so uncomfortable and he really turned it around but you know we really needed something very escapist something very escapist and there was something about the fact that these children were locked in an attic while we were locked in our houses what is escapist about that (laughs) (laughs) that's that's exactly the opposite of what you want right for me, it was escapist in that it harkened back to a, a, a more simple time in my life. <laughs> For me, I was like, well, it could be worse. I could be fucking my sister. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, long story short, you know, spoiler alert, uh, the kids are locked in this attic forever. And the two older ones start fucking. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we eventually formed a book club, uh, I, I believe, uh, with Flowers in the Attic. Uh, it was just the two of us, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. eventually the book club grew to encompass another one of our friends and eventually uh, another one of my partners. And we were all four kind of reading various books uh, to each other, uh, taking turns each time we met. But as I recall, in this particular case, it was us kind of swapping off between the two of us for a while yeah a it while. was the two of us and i got to read the money chapter the chapter where the incest happens and i remember you being so deliciously uncomfortable it was so disgusting because it's not just incest it's rape as well mm-hmm. and oh, absolutely i was horrified not just for the content but i was horrified that i was reading this as a 13 year old girl How did that come across when you were 13? I recall reading this and not really feeling the horror of the situation. I remember reading it and just being scandalized like it's sex. Because I I grew up watching soap operas. Mm -hmm, I watched mm -hmm. hours and hours of soap operas a day as a kid with my grandma. You would get home from school and it would be Young and the Restless, All My Children, (laughs) One Life to Live. And you would just watch hours and hours and hours of this stuff. And it's all incest, rape, uh, people being buried in tunnels, coming back from the dead, vampires. It was just just absolutely insane stuff. Um, So at the time I read it, it was more like, oh my gosh, this is so scandalous and this is sex. It didn't really hit me how truly horrible this was. And that's the subversiveness of this this book. You think to yourself, if I was trapped in the attic during my formative years of puberty, my brother's so hot, <laughs> my sister's so hot, <laughs> right? Um, The other part of the story that is just bananas is that they have two younger siblings that they're taking care of. And the mom kind of flits in and out, in and out, in and out. Right. The the mom is doing her own thing, trying to uh, make nice with grandparents while also hiding yet still taking care of the children. Right. right? So the thing is, the grandmother knows about the kids. The grandfather doesn't. So she was disowned because she married her uncle. (gasps) Her uncle by marriage. Scandal. Right. Which turned out to be her actual blood uncle. So let me get into, like, this was not where the story ended. There, This is a 11 book series. 11 books. There's 11. Of incest. Of, of just, in, just, yes, crazy incest. The original five were written by V.C. Andrews herself. The last one written with a co-author, Andrew Niederman. But in the I'll read the uh, the synopsis from Amazon here. In Flowers in the Attic and Petals on the Wind, Chris, Kathy, Corey, and Carrie had the perfect lives until a tragic accident changed everything. Now, that tragic accident is the dad dies. And, of course, the mom, trophy wife, doesn't mm-hmm. work, doesn't have any kind of skills. She was pretty and married her uncle. And there you go. Her step-uncle, which actually turned out to be her half-brother. But I digress. They are trapped in their grandparents' attic, waiting for their mother to figure out what to do next. As the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months, the unspeakable horrors that plague them are rivaled only by the sinful jealousies that begin to rise. (laughs) That's the the brother-sister fucking right there. So after I read this, I was hungry for more. I read 
all the books in the series. So it follows the kids through their lives. And the next book, If There Be Thorns and Seeds of Yesterday, you see there's like a garden theme happening here. Kathy and Chris have moved from their days in the attic, but the sins and secrets of their past keep catching up to them. Now, their children may be doomed to repeat their mistakes. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they end up getting married, just like their parents before them who were brother and sister, and have their own kids. But not until they escape. And Kathy, you don't know any of this because you haven't read. No, Beyond. this is new to me. I'm, 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 I'm like, spill the tea. Come on, okay. I, need, I need some popcorn here. So after they they escape from the attic, they go to Florida because I mean, well, of course, I mean that just makes sense. Why not? Where Kathy fulfills her dream of becoming a ballet dancer, but she falls in love with a doctor uh, who is older than her. I believe he's like in his thirties. Well, now wait a minute. Like this, as I recall is harkening back to what her brother also was going to become. He wanted he was to going become to be a, doctor. a doctor. You're correct. Mm, mm-hmm. So she, she has a type. Yeah, she has a type. She falls in love with a doctor. He takes her in, takes in the one remaining twin, because, spoiler alert again, one of them dies because the mom is trying to poison them all so that she can just inherit the money, forget about these damn kids. She goes all Kanye on those. Man, I hate those kids. She just wants the money. So she falls in love with this doctor, but she can't forget her brother. She can't forget the time they spent together in the attic. And eventually the doctor finds out that she's fucking the brother. I'm sorry. They have to move to another place. And they eventually have their own kids. Now, in Garden of Shadows, which is the prequel, this is this is where things, like, my mind was blown, okay? This is as far as I, as I read. This one was published in 1986. Um, She was already passed away at this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in Garden of Shadows, it's the prequel. And it's the story of the evil grandmother that locked them in the attic, Olivia. Young Olivia arrives at Foxworth Hall thinking her marriage to handsome Malcolm will bring the joy she has longed for. But in the gloomy mansion filled with festering desires and forbidden passions, a shocking secret lives, a secret that will taint the Foxworth family for generations to come. So it took us all the way back to the evil grandma. It tried to paint her as kind of, you know, oh, this is why she was so fucked up. Doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. But, you know, basically what's happening is her husband, the grandfather of these children in the original, ended up fucking his stepmom, having a baby. That baby gave birth (laughs) to the child that was their mom. And then the stepmom also had a baby with the with with the husband with the grandfather. That was so they were half brother and sister. Yeah. Okay, so at this point we're looking at what three, four generations of incest. We're talking at well at this point the incest kind of started with you know um, started with the uh, the Corinne who was the, the the mom of the the four flowers in the attic. She was the byproduct of an affair that her own father had with with her, his own stepmother. So with his own stepmother. Yeah. Okay. So what's crazy is Olivia pretended she was pregnant with Corinne, wore padded underwear, locked Corinne's birth mother in the same damn basement that the kids were locked in. Attic. The attic. Sorry, the attic basement. Attic. God, basement would have been even darker. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. So, so an attic is like a basement of the sky. A basement of the sky. So these four kids 
these four children were imprisoned in the very same attic that their actual birth grandmother gave birth to their mother in. What? Yes. Oh, my God. So this is why the the grandma was evil and hated their mom. That wasn't her kid. Wasn't She'd her kid. been there. It wasn't she, her kid. Oh, my God. Her husband was fucking his young, beautiful stepmother. And she stole the child and passed it off as her own because her own two children that she had died in tragic car accidents. Okay. What I also love is that this entire thing can be condensed to a 20-minute video on Pornhub. I'm telling you right now, the whole genre of the stepmother, stepbrother, stepsister, incest porn, it started here. Oh. It started here. Undeniably. Yeah. Undeniably. So I've actually thought about the remaining six that were written under the name B.C. Andrews, but were actually written Mm -hmm. by her her co-author, Andrew Niederman. The last installment came out in 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very, very recently. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. About so VC Andrews died in 1986, as, as we've said, mm-hmm. uh, from breast cancer. She also did not have an easy life before that. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a rather severe accident at school. She tumbled down some stairs, and spent most of her life after that in crutches or a wheelchair. Somehow, and huge props to her for this, managed to complete a four-year degree via correspondence course and was able to uh, support her family through her art, um, mostly painted art and stuff, after her father died in I had no idea. I had no idea she painted, too. Yeah, yeah. She, she would, was an artist of all sorts. I would love to see what her paintings look I like. Know, I bet right? they're real special. We we have to look that up. All right. Well, we will put some, some links up in the show notes so you can check out some of her artwork. Absolutely. But yes, so she succumbed to breast cancer in 1986. This was before we had uh, as good treatment as we do now. Breast cancer is still a a very serious thing, but it is treatable. So please check early, check often. Every year, get your mammograms, ladies. Seriously, just do it. Just do it. Do it. Um, It's free under Obamacare. Get your mammograms. That's our PSA. And uh, the IRS posthumously found some irregularities in her tax returns and decided that her name was a sufficiently valuable asset to basically make up some of this. That is when Andrew Niederman was brought in. So he is a ghost author who was brought in after her death, I believe. Okay, because she did write part of Garden of Shadows. She did. And so Niederman finished several Mm. of the works that she had started. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe Garden of Shadows is one of the two or three books, I think it's only two, still considered to be written by V.C. Andrews but published after her death. Mm -hmm. And then the endless litany of Niederman books under the V.C. Andrews name commences. So for basically 25 years now, Niederman has been writing under V.C. Andrews name. There are books still yet to be published that are coming out later this year from Niederman under the V.C. Andrews name. And like talk about gravy train like you already have your name made for you you just have to keep on writing i mean i could write one of these she had many other series like my sweet my sweet adrina i would i would say please read it is truly fucked up but she had the castile series uh there were so many and they were all about these rich old families on the eastern seaboard with dilapidated houses or or grand mansions and there are secrets in every corridor of course there are 
amazing. Are they flowers? It could mm. be. One thing that I want to touch on too is that this this was a very serious book, and I'm 13 years old reading this. And I think one of the reasons why I identified so much with this book is that there really was a lot of condemnation of religious fanaticism in this book. One of the reasons that the grandmother gave for locking the children in the attic, for disowning her own uh, quote-unquote daughter, was that she was an abomination in in the eyes of the Lord. I grew up very religious, very, very, very religious, like go to church a couple times a week religious. And to see portrayed this godly woman who was respected for her godliness doing such monstrous things was oddly comforting (laughs) to me. I grew up around church ladies like this. They were mean and they were spiteful and not not all of them, of course. There were some really, really lovely, lovely people in the church, but there were some where you were like, don't talk to that lady, she's mean. And it it was actually kind of refreshing to me to see someone so devout portrayed in this way because it was always pounded into my head that godly people were good people. And to see them as, nope, they're human. And especially when I read Garden of Shadows and her backstory to see, okay, she is so afraid of history repeating itself. With reason. With reason. But in the end, all of her machinations made history repeat itself. She couldn't stop brother and sister from fucking. (laughs) She, in fact, was the catalyst to make brother and sister fuck. So I think that was that was also a great thing. Nature of motherhood and not wanting to turn into your mother. I'm the firstborn of a firstborn of a firstborn woman. And there's that generational pull of, you know, I don't want to be my mom. Like who everyone says that. Who wants to grow up as a as a woman? You don't want to grow up to be your mom. And then as you get older, to your horror it happens despite your best efforts. Right. But I think there, so this is, I think, irony in the most classic sense where it's not just uh, despite your best efforts that you become your mother. This is someone who is trying to, re- to avoid repeating the same mistakes. And through her efforts to avoid repeating the same mistakes actually causes the same mistakes to happen. Yep. Like it is directly because of her trying to avoid it that it happens. And right. that's... That is irony in the most classic Greek sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, it also touched on things that there is a rape scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incest happens because the brother is just overcome and he rapes the sister. And the first thing she does is blames herself. And that is just heartbreaking. And it's absolutely something that happens to this day. Rape victims are blamed mm-hmm. for their own rapes. Uh, absolutely. Victims often blame themselves. If only I had done X, Y, or Z, that wouldn't have happened. So it's very interesting that, that that, you know, she loves her brother. And most rapes are, you know, sorry to get heavy here, but most rapes are perpetrated by people that the victims know. This is her brother. They are stuck in this attic. They are each other's, you know, complete just support system. And he shows remorse, but she's like comforting him, right? She gets raped. She's comforting him. It's just such a gutting scene that I did not understand the significance of as a child, But now when I read it again as an adult, I was like, oh, no, (laughs) this is quite horrifying. It is. It really is. Yeah. That was an uncomfortable one to read. Yeah. It was all fun and games until the the rape scene. Yes. (laughs) We really did get into it, though. Um, You know, we would we would uh, put up Zoom backgrounds of addicts. (laughs) 
we would put on wigs, we would do voices, you know, you know, we're, and this was right in the beginning of the pandemic when everything was really uncertain and scary. And, uh, and we, we were, were doing this in a lot of ways to just sort of relieve the uh, pressure and the, the worry of the pandemic. This was something that we would do to take our minds off of the seriousness of, of the unknown, basically, because mm-hmm. we didn't know what this was. We didn't know how long it was going to go on. We didn't know how serious it was. We just knew that it was a global thing that mm-hmm. was you know, quite fatal in a lot of cases. And much like the children who kept being told by their mother, or like in our case, the authorities, it'll just be two weeks. It'll just mm-hmm. be a month. It'll just mm-hmm. be two months. And it just dragged on and on and on, you know, for over a year. And same thing with these these children. They thought they would just be there for a short amount of time. It's fine. The year, the, the day swelled <laughs> into mm-hmm. months. So in a lot of ways, we were also flowers. And then we have the damn super spreaders trying to give us their poison donuts. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, the damn poison donuts. The poison donuts. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this is this is kind of what, what created the podcast. We just started talking about erotica and and how cringy and bad it could be and where you know what it what it means to us in society. And uh so I have I have a lot of thanks to give to Flowers in the Attic and BC Andrews, uh, RIP. You really shaped a generation of women. Definitely shaped. <laughs> Passing no no quality judgments on that. Uh, so before we go, I have to give props to one particular reader who uh, left a review on, on Amazon. This is uh, L.A. Robinson on Amazon, who I feel gave a, a perfectly nuanced review mm. of the book. Okay. Who says... I've given this book a five-star rating, not based on its amazing literary merit, characterization, symbolic referencing, or the fact that it is beautifully written, but on the basis that it is five-star page-turning trash. (laughs) It was recommended to me by someone of whom I should have known better than to be likely to read something of true quality, and within the first few pages I knew that I had been recommended a pile of gratuitous, vacuous, airheaded nonsense. However... I am rather enjoying this light read for its implausible tale of cruelty, greed, and despair, so I'm putting it aside my notions of book snobbery and dumbing down because I want to see how the story unfolds. Wow. That, that's, that is the best description of this book I've read. It is, <laughs> right? not, it is not well written. No, no, it is not well written. There were several times, I think, where I was reading this book where I just had to pause and laugh at the way it was written. Not what was happening, not the characterization, just the prose. The prose is is just... Let's ugh, let's put cool. it this way. it's it, it reads like it was written in two weeks. It really does. And yet, there were several moments in there where there was a f- turn of phrase that was so deliciously beautiful and well-written that we just had to stop and just marvel at it. Like, where did this come from? Absolutely. The, diamonds in the rough. Really. really. There were really some diamonds in the rough. Really, there were. But that that is, that's a fantastic review. And I think that's a really great, great place to say goodnight. But please go out and uh, read these books. They're great. What have we learned today, Kit? <laughs> what have we learned? I think that what I have learned is I should always be wary of free donuts. <laughs> yes. And what I have learned is if you want your children to fuck, you should lock them in an attic for years while they're going through puberty. Thank you guys so much for listening. Good night, folks. (laughs) We'll catch you next time. 
Here at the Interlude Podcast, we love tops and subs. That's topics and subscribers. Is there something you'd love to hear us talk about on a future episode? Email us at interlude at wholeassproductions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-L-E-W-D. Or find us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at interludepod. Thank you.